with the first pick of this imaginary draft, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast drafts local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. With the second pick, that one radio show in Dayton drafts that school in Columbus and the Cleveland Browns for three hours every day. The third pick made by that station that dares call itself Dayton Sports Station with little local content selects the same crap you can hear on the national chains. This is the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mallon, a weekly audio podcast that covers everything sports in the Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio region. No faffing around. No unnecessary chatter. No focusing on that school in Columbus like other shows. Just good, honest, local sports happening in Southwest Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and East Central Indiana. Be sure to bookmark SinDayPod.com for ways to listen and podcast merchandise. Theme song by Kevin McLeod on FreePD.com. Here's your host, Lee W. Mallon. I have decided to talk like this for all of my episodes because why not? No, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, hello and welcome to episode 212 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. The NFL Draft sound effect is from the NFL. It's used under fair use. And the cheering and booing was from Free Sound. So want to give credit to those sound effects before I get dinged for them. Freesound.org and the NFL. I figured, you know, why not start off the episode talking about the Bengals 2021 draft with a little draft of my own. And you know what? It's completely accurate. So let's go ahead and start talking about local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. We'll start off with the Bengals 2021 draft. Now, of course, the draft is come and gone, and depending on who you read, there's been varying grades of the draft. My overall impression of it, solid draft. I like the picks that the Bengals made. It took me a while for me to fully get on board with Jamar Chase. Not because, you know, Jamar Chase is a terrible player. No, he's quite the opposite. He's going to be a wonderful wide receiver. And I think it's something the Bengals did need. However, you know, I I really want Panay Sewell. If you're being compared to Anthony Munoz, who's one of my favorite Bengals players, if you're being compared to him... You know, it's just, I, and, and I understand, too, what Jamar Chase brings to the table. I really do. And yes, the Bengals did address the offensive line in the draft. But let's go through the entirety of the 2021 Cincinnati Bengals NFL draft. So if you remember last year, 2020 draft, the Bengals picked Joe Burrow, who started the season, then went down against the Washington Football Club there after the Bengals had a halftime lead. Uh, Once he left for good that season, the Bengals were never the same. I'm surprised we still beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, which, uh, yeah, that's that's still great. Uh, It does look like Burrow will be back for week one, barring any setbacks. Cross your fingers. 
no setbacks. But so far, so good. So the new wide receiver in town is Jamar Chase, and he will be wearing the number one jersey because of the new rule saying that, you know, we can relax on some position numbers for, you know, college athletes to keep their number from college and now into the pros. And for Cincinnati, Jamar Chase is going to be wearing the number one jersey, which, you know, seeing what he brings to the table, he's got something that the rest of the wide receivers don't, just that breakaway opportunity. He can create bursts like that. And, you know, teams can't double-team everyone forever. So if Chase gets double-teamed, then... You know, Boyd and Higgins, who I think are due for great years in 2021. So, yeah, I I did like the pick of Chase. It took me a while not to be a little disappointed in it. And, again, it's not Chase. It's just me wanting that offensive line to just pulverize the AFC North. That's just me. Because, you know, I'm tired of hearing Browns fans like, Oh, we had a winning season first time since, like, you know, the early 2000s or whatever. And it's like, okay, look at last decade's numbers. You were like 40. Actually, I have that picture on my phone. I can actually quote it correctly without, you know, sounding like an egotistical jerk, which I know some people already think of me of with that opening, but yeah, that's okay. Oh, yeah, the Browns last decade, 42, 117, and 1. The Bengals, 77-81-2. Yes, I laugh at the fact that there's two ties for the Bengals. That's tied for the most in the NFL in the 2010s. I get that. But one winning season, you already think you're, you know, the top of the walk? <laughs> okay. Tell yourself that. But, yeah, I, I, I like the Bengals draft, and I think Jamar Chase will be a great addition to the offense. He's the wide receiver from LSU. Now, the Bengals did make a trade in the second day, getting more picks in the third, actually, excuse me, the fourth round, and moving down, uh, what was it, 10 picks, 8 picks, something like that. And with the second round pick, the 46th pick overall, it is the former Fairfield Indian and the former Clemson Tiger, Jackson Carmen, offensive tackle, coming aboard. So yes, it was true. The Bengals, they went after the big wide receiver in the draft, which again, I'm fine with. And then they picked Jackson Carmen. So again, former Fairfield Indian, and on the Twitter graphic used by the Bengals, it's 23 miles from Fairfield, Ohio to Paul Brown Stadium, which I never would have guessed it's that far, but hey, Still, though, being a local kid, getting to play for his local NFL team. Now I know that doesn't automatically equal Super Bowl success. It doesn't even equal regular season success. I know that. And the reason why I bring it up, because it's a nice point. It's a nice local sports point, which I know Cincinnati Radio's covered. I mean, again, Cincinnati Sports Radio, I think, Head and shoulders above Dayton Sports Radio. But then again, when you have the one show and most of it's about that school in Columbus. Yeah. So that's my take on it. You know, you can have a different take. You can troll me on that, but uh, not going to change my opinion. So Jackson Carmen, the offensive tackle taken in the 46th pick. I like that pick. 
because I know a lot of the picks that the Bengals were thinking about for the offensive line were taken, including Alex Leatherwood, who was taken by the Raiders, the very first pick. So, Which a lot of people are like, really, Raiders? Of all the things you need, you pick the offensive lineman first? But, you know, Raiders don't care what you think. That's always been Al Davis's strategy. He doesn't care what you think. He does things his own way. The third round pick, number 69, insert your nice comments here, it is Joseph Osei, defensive end from the Texas Longhorns, which I like that. I mean, his athleticism should be a really nice touch on the defensive end. The fourth round, there are three picks for Cincinnati, and the first one is defensive end from Tulane, Cameron Sample. That's the 111th pick. 11 picks later, the Bengals go for LSU's defensive tackle, Tyler Shelvin. And this is from the Cardinals through Houston and New England. And pick number 139, so this is 17 picks from Tyler Shelvin. The offensive tackle from East Carolina, Dante Smith. Round 5, pick 149, the Bengals get the replacement for Randy Bullock and kicker Evan McPherson who is shown on a social media video on Twitter, kicking a cap off a bottle on the goalpost, which hopefully it means accuracy. It's a great thing. Round six, two picks for the Bengals. Pick number 190, it's center Trey Hill from Georgia, which will be nice because Cincinnati recently declined Billy Price's contract extension, meaning after this year, He's out of there, unless the Bengals, you know, have a change of heart. I don't see that happening. But Billy Price will most likely not be a Bengal in 2022. So Trey Hill will come in. He'll back up uh, Trey Hopkins in that respect. Round six, number 202, is a running back from Michigan. Not Tatun or Tasun. It's Michigan. It starts with the letter M, and it ends with the letter N. There you go. Right, uh, excuse me. Running back Chris Evans, which from what I read, he's got a lot of similarities to Giovanni Bernard, where he's a great wide receiver that doubles as a running back. And for the last pick, number 235 around seven, it is the defensive end from Kansas State, Wyatt Hubert. So this pick's interesting. I, I read what Wyatt Hubert bases games on, and now he's Basically saying, I'm going to see what Trey Hendrickson can do. I'm going to see what the Bengals can do. Then I'm going to copy my game on that. So that is your Cincinnati Bengals 2021 NFL draft picks. I know a lot of national pundits are really questioning Chase with the first round pick. Especially the latest video by Urinating Tree. I mean, he should be one to talk. Most of his offensive line is gone from Pittsburgh. But uh, yeah, he can... Say he can make fun of the bungles all he wants, but uh, you know that's going to end soon, buddy. Besides, you're paying forty-one million to a quarterback that has significantly lost a lot of what made him special. But uh, you don't want to open up that uh, can of Arizona iced tea, do you? Anyway, <clears throat> that's the Cincinnati Bengals draft. Again, I think it's a solid draft. There's someone on Bleacher Report that gave the Bengals an F just because Chase over Sewell. You know what's funny? 
the Dolphins had a chance to pick Sewell, and it seemed like Miami was going to lean that way, and they need offensive line help too. And they don't pick him. They go for Waddle out of uh, Alabama, the wide receiver. But it's okay for the Dolphins to do that and not the Bengals. Hmm. Like since uh, the problems on Twitter mentioned, we're going to get a great player. And we did. We got a great player, Jamar Chase. Again, he's going to bring an element when A.J. Green was healthy, when Chad Johnson was here. You know, they have the opportunity to create opportunities. They can break away. And I, I really think that, you know, I, I know it took me a while to get fully on board, but I like it because I think Chase will be a great addition. And this is a guy that said, I'm going to break all the records in Cincinnati. Point blank. He's just going to break all the receiving records ever set by the Bengals in their now 54 years of existence. That sounds about right. So, you know, I love the attitude from him. I love that, you know. But we'll see how this goes. I I think the Bengals did have a few pieces to the offensive line. I do wish they did a little bit more. But at the same time, I'm pretty satisfied as long as that offensive line can keep Joe Burrow safe. And of course, who knows? I mean, the Bengals' last few years, the first-round picks, they've been injured. You can look at Jonah Williams, um, point one. Point two, the Burrow injury, which most of that line, most of the people that made that line are gone. I still think, you know, the Bengals getting rid of Bobby Hart, you know, the sliding door known as Bobby Hart, that's a good pickup right there. Uh, Reef from Minnesota, that's a solid pick, although I don't know if I like the one-year thing. I hope he stays in Cincinnati longer, especially if he does a great job. But that is the 2021 draft for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, Cincy Jungle, which is SB Nation Cincinnati Bengals community, they look at the experts grading the Bengals 2021 draft, which again, I mentioned there was someone that said the Bengals get an F because Chase over Sewell. But yeah, there's a lot of people that uninstalled uninstalled the Bleacher Report because of that. It's like, really? And come to find out, the writer is a hardcore Cleveland Browns fan. So, uh, yeah, up yours. Also, I like to point out, I don't hate the Cleveland Browns. It's just, you know, some of the arrogance. Yeah, I'm happy you got your first winning season since, you know, I was in middle school. But, yeah, how about you uh, lower, you know, your cockiness? It's not like you won the Super Bowl or anything. And, yes, you can make the argument they won a playoff game before the Bengals. Eh. You know, eh, good for you. You took down a porous Pittsburgh Steelers team, again, with weakening abilities from the quarterback and a lot of drama and turmoil inside. Like I said, most of the offensive line for the Steelers either retired or just went away. Uh, Alexander Villanueva is now with the rival Baltimore Ravens, who I still think is the top of the AFC North, especially if they get more wide-receiving help for Lamar Jackson. So that's my take on it. I think Baltimore's still strong. Cleveland's up there. I think Cincinnati won't be last this year. If they are, it'll be, you know, a game. It's not going to be the Bengals just all alone in the basement. That's my take, but... 
So, from Andrew Russell, PFF underscore Andrew R, said that the Bengals landed six players from the top 150 on the final PFF big board. That's a successful draft. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I like this draft. I think it's solid. However, I'm not putting all my eggs in the basket before it's time to open them up and see if I got jelly beans or money because of the fact that, you know, the season, there's still preseason warm-ups to go, then the season. I like the Bengals draft picks. I really like the last few Bengals drafts. It's just, unfortunately, injuries and stuff doesn't work out from time to time. ESPN gave the Bengals a B. NFL.com gave the Bengals a B+. Yahoo Sports gave the Bengals a C+. Which, you know, it is what it is. CBS Sports B-, DraftWire B, Sports Illustrated C+, USA Today B+. So a lot of these are B grades. No Fs. Lowest is a C+. Which, my big argument is... You know, again, I wish the Bengals would have done a little bit more in the offensive line. But at the same time, I'm satisfied. There's some people quoting that, you know, they would have went for Sewell instead. Like like I said, I'm Team Sewell, and I'm still proud of it. Now he's with the Detroit Lions, which, you know, that should be a nice pickup for the Lions. Especially the way that, uh, I forget what his first name is, but Campbell. The way he wants to take his team. So... But again, it took me a day or two to finally realize that, you know, Jamar Chase, you weren't going to find qualities like him further down the draft board. Then again, you know, you can make that same argument for Panay Sewell. You really going to find someone like him throughout the draft board? I mean, there was someone that was ranked higher, forget what his name is, um, that kid from Northwestern. But... Yeah, I, I would have given the Bengals a B plus, honestly. So there's another article. This is from Anthony Casenza, CJ Anthony CUI from Cincinnati Jungle. And the winners, he lists Joe Burrow, because you know, new weapon for Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. You know, they're making an effort to ease Chase in the NFL, giving him a familiar friend. Behind that offensive line, so that's nice. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, like I mentioned earlier, you know, that's going to help them. They might drop down from, you know, WR1 and 2 to 2 and 3, but again, Jamar Chase is going to be a new target out there. You're either going to find Chase or he's going to draw a double coverage, and then, oh, look, there's Higgins and Boyd. They can handle their own on single coverage. I know that. Joe Mixon, which a lot of people were a little concerned, but I think Jackson Carmen, you know, Quentin Spain, Riley Reef. It's gonna call him Ricky Reef. I don't know why, but I knew it started with an arm. Dante Smith, Trey Hill, you know, that sounds like a pretty good line. And with a good line, you know, here comes Mixon charging through. You know, and stuff like that. And Frank Pollock, you know, he's got some new talent for that line. So he should be in a good spot to help get Cincinnati above where they were. So I like that. Also, CJ Uzama and Thaddeus Moss are picked as winners too, which Zach Taylor is not a big tight end guy like, you know, Bill Belichick or other coaches that go to tight ends. But at the same time, 
those are still weapons. If you go empty back, you got now Chase, Boyd, Higgins, and Uzoma or Moss, depending on who's the tight end one. I really like that offense. Again, it really depends if the offensive line can keep the defense away. But I like this. I really think the Bengals have a shot to air it out. You know, and Mixon too. I and uh, Samarji uh, uh, Pirine. You know, I I do like this draft. Continuing on with the winners and losers, so thirteen winners and I think eight losers. Brian Callahan picked, you know, his third year as the offensive coordinator. You know, with all that offensive talent, you should be able to uh, open up the books a little bit and wreak havoc on defenses. But he's kind of on the hot seat at the moment. You know, Jim Turner released after two years, which I think was a smart move to bring back Frank Pollock. Darren Simmons. It's not often that a team will go kicker in the fifth round, but you know, the Bengals really needed one. They find McPherson, and again, this is a guy that's probably going to be the week one starter. So, also, there's an undrafted free agent. Hopefully, I'll find that article to talk about those signings for the Bengals. They got Drew Chrisman out of that school in Columbus as a punter, you know, behind Kevin Huber. Kevin Huber's getting up there in age. God, when was he drafted? feel like it's been close to uh, 20 years. But still, that's not bad. Darren Simmons should have a pretty nice special teams there. Lou Anamurmo and Marion Hobby, you know, they're showing immense faith the Bengals are in what they're trying to build defensively. Massive investments in the draft and free agency. You know, that defense really has to start kicking butts now, you know. Four picks on the defensive line to give proper depth and insurance in case, you know, injuries hit the Bengals again. Hopefully that's not the case. But, you know, that's music to Hobby's ears. We'll see what the defense can do. Also, the linebacker group, you know, there's more to that core as well. Some consider Joseph Osei a tweener who could play in space down the road, but mostly utilized as a pass rusher. But there might be a veteran coming in for more stability. But there's favorable impressions from Wilson Bailey and Davis Gaither. So there should be a pretty good linebacker core there. Now, some of the losers, as we swap from positive to negative, Michael Jordan and Xavier Suafilo, the two darlings of last offensive line coach Jim Turner, especially Michael Jordan. He was on the line with uh, Joe Burrow getting hurt. I don't think he played, Michael Jordan did, after that game. It might have been the game after Washington that he didn't play, but yeah, he was pretty much in the doghouse and for very good reason. He's, uh, you know, Sua Filo's valued as a veteran presence on a line that's trending younger, but he might still work in Pollock's line schemes and Taylor's system, but youth and athleticism... It's the way the Bengals are going. So, Michael Jordan on the other side. I with with uh, that injury. I don't know if you bring him back. Honest to goodness. So, some more losers in this draft. Rotational defensive tackles like 
Josh Tupo, he's got a lot of tools, but he opted out of 2020. He's going to be returning to a lot of competition at the interior of the def defensive line. Also, he's a leftover from the Marvin Lewis days, which a lot of those are starting to go by the wayside. Geno Atkins no longer there. A.J. Green no longer there. So, who's to say what he does under Zach Taylor's eyes? So, some more. Excuse me, the page scrolled up on me. Freedom, Akin Moladon, Amani Bledsoe, Khalil McKenzie, and Renell Wren still have a lot to prove to make the roster. With the rookie Hall of Ose, Cam Sample, Tyler Shelvin, and Wyatt Hubert have intriguing skill sets that could push the incumbents out of their jobs. So it's going to be really interesting in training camp to see how the, the rotation not the rotation, but the roster, rather, shapes up. Austin Siebert, he was picked up. You might remember him from the Browns where he uh, didn't do so hot. He got released, and the Bengals picked him up, I think, the next day. I don't think he saw time with the Bengals. I think Randy Bullock's played all those games. Now with Evan McPherson in town, Siebert going to have any work for Cincinnati? I don't know. Also, I skipped one. Uh, Fred Johnson and Hakeem Adenajay. It's similar to Sua, Philo, and Jordan's stories. Adenajay likely has more wiggle room in the club, but his plateau may be that a valuable swing backup instead of a future starter, which will limit his time in Cincinnati. Johnson's had some chances with the Bengals the past couple of seasons. It's been a mixed bag. Hasn't really worked at tackle or right guard. And with Carmen and Smith coming in, he might be out of a job. Now, you might remember Fred Johnson last year. He had to come in with, you know, injuries starting to really hamper that offensive line. So that definitely didn't help matters either. Also, Travion Williams and Jacques Patrick. There's a lot of murmurs that. Evans, the later draft pick for Cincinnati, can do quite a bit what Giovanni Bernard provided for the offense. Travion Williams was a guy Turner liked when he was at Texas A&M. Remember, Turner's gone, so looks like the coaches have went towards the Michigan Wolverine. Samaj Pirine's late 2020 heroics and the 2021 free agent contract means the running backs, that's a tough nut to crack. Mixon's definitely RB1, and I think P. Ryan will make a great case as RB2. And Evans might be RB3 with a little bit of uh, wide receiver in him as well. So that's your wins and losses. Again, this is from the five folks at Cincy Jungle, and it's Anthony Cosenza with that article. So again, to finalize my thoughts, I think the Bengals did a nice job. I think the last few years, the draft has been kind to the Bengals. However, the injuries haven't been kind to the Bengals draftees. And I think, you know, Cincinnati's on the right track. I know it's a little frustrating to go through the last two years, and especially that 2-14 and 14 year, but we got Burrow out of it. Although someone in Dayton thinks that, you know, Cincinnati should just fold up and burn to the ground and not get Joe Burrow because, you know... 
you know, of having nearly two decades of, you know, incompetence is okay, but, you know, the Bengals last few years, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, a death sentence. But I still think the Bengals are on the right track, and I can't wait to see what 2021 brings to the table. Sticking with the Cincinnati Bengals, it's time to talk about the new stripes. So, before the new jerseys were introduced about a couple weeks ago, the Bengals have worn those same jerseys since 2004, with the Color Rush coming in 2016, I believe. So, these new jerseys are out, and they've been out for a while, and I've been meaning to talk about them, but I, I haven't. But it's time to talk about that now. This is from Fox 19 in Cincinnati, WXIX, from Jared Golfinet. It's the dawning of a new era in Cincinnati Bengals history, and the new looks were introduced April 19th. It's been a while, which, um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I did like the video they introduced, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. It was in an old parking garage, I believe. And it was made by Cincinnati Company with the Bengals and Chad Johnson involved, which was really cool to see. And personally, I like them. I, I really like the new looks. That it, it is simpler. It is cleaner. And there's not as much going on on the sides and around the collar. This is a clean look. There are some people that have already mentioned it's boring, but I like it. I think it represents a new age in Cincinnati Bengals football. One of the new touches I really like is not seen on television. It is the signature of Paul Brown inside the neckline, which I think is a really, really nice touch. There are stripes now, tiger stripes on the shoulders. It's not like the old jerseys. I really wanted the Bengals to reintroduce the, you know, the ones they wore during the Super Bowl runs in the 80s. I like those a lot. But I like these two. The details released by Bengals on Twitter look like this. The nameplate has removed the stroke from the nameplate. I mentioned Paul Brown's signature inside the jersey. There's new pant designs. There's uh, tiger stripes on the side of the pants. Uh, Bengals are on front of the jersey instead of the B logo, which a lot of people don't like that logo, myself included, but I forget who made the comment that there is no other team in America using that logo, so that's why the Bengals use it. So, fair enough, I guess, because there are teams that use the Bengals, uh, the Bengals face, and I think there's teams that use the jumping Bengal from the 90s. As well, I'm trying to think if I remember any of them off the top of my head, and I really don't, but trust me, there are. The stripe pattern redesign on the shoulders, it's simplified, it's just one color. The ridge numbers, it's a new font, it's still got the rounded look, which I'm not a big fan of. I like the old school block numbers and letters, but that's just me. These are fine. And on most of the ends of the numbers, you know, the ones that have ends, have a little claw at it, and it's supposed to be a 
mark of a bangle. The claw. Which, hey, that's a nice touch. So all in all, I like them. I think it's a good look. My favorite one is probably a tie between the black jersey and the orange jersey. The white jersey's okay. It's just, I don't know. It's a little, I don't want to say plain. Because, again, I, I like the cleanness and the simple redesign of them. I don't know. I mean, if I had money to buy them, I'd probably buy a black one or maybe an orange one. So, yeah, I I like these jerseys. I know I can't really show a picture to you, but you probably already seen them anyway. With this new class coming in, Joe Burrow's second year, I really, really enjoy the new look, and I think it'll stick with us for quite some time. So, the pant combinations, I think there's only going to be seven combos. When originally it was reported there was going to be nine. There's no orange pants. So no orange on orange action. Sorry. Looks like it'll be orange on black or orange on white. The black jerseys can go with the white or black pants. The white jerseys can go with the white or the black pants. So there's a combination. Again, the helmets are untouched, which is a great thing. Because it's what represents its nascence. Uh, 1981, I believe. So, yeah, they better not change. And I do see redesigns from time to time on the helmets. Just like, no. No, leave it alone. The helmet's fine. It's beautiful. Don't touch it. So, my favorite combination is probably the black on black. The orange on black's a really sharp look, too. I should also mention there are two white pants, technically. One's got orange stripes. I believe the other one has... Black stripes, if I remember right. But yeah, that's your seven combinations. And I really can't wait to see what they are. So a little ditty about the new Bengals jerseys. I have been meaning to bring them up. But yeah, now talking about it with the draft covered in this episode. And we move from the gridiron to the baseball diamond. It's the start of the 2021 Dayton Dragon season. And you know this podcast. We talk about the Reds and the Dragons and Summer Ball, but that doesn't start for another few weeks. And the Dayton Dragons are at Great Lakes for six games. I think I mentioned this in a previous recent episode. Not sure if I like the whole six-game thing. Just because... You're facing the same team for six games. Same place. No going back and forth. And I don't know why it's done. It's because the fact that, you know, COVID, limit your travel, and there you go. So, officially, the Dayton Dragons released the roster the day before Tuesday. Just because that's the mandatory time to release those rosters. I mean, you could release it a little bit earlier, but, yeah, you know. So, I am really excited what this roster brings. It's available on DaytonDragons.com, and Michael Ciani headlines the Dayton Dragons team for 2021. I believe this is written by Tom Nichols and Jack Kaiser, and this is from the other day, the other day being Monday. The Dayton Dragons, in partnership with the Cincinnati Reds, today announced a 31-player roster. A final opening day roster of 30 players will be established 
prior to the Dragons High A Central League season opening game on Tuesday at the Great Lakes Loons in Midland, Michigan. The opening game at Dayer Ballpark will be Tuesday, May 11th against the Lansing Lugnuts. The Dragons roster is headlined by Reds' top 10 prospect Michael Ciani, who is a center fielder by trade, who spent the entire 2019 season in Dayton when the Dragons were single A. Ciani moves up a level on the Reds' development ladder because, you know, all that changed. So he's back in Dayton with a step up in the organization. So Michael Ciani headlines this team. Also, the roster includes three of the top 15 players in Baseball America's ranking of top red prospects. With Lion Richardson back in Dayton and right-handed starter Noah Davis, who's the 15th best prospect in Cincinnati's farm system. Also, the roster includes 11 players who have spent previous experience with the Dragons, including many of the top players from 2019. Also, the Dragons feature two players out of Federal Service Academies. Jacob Herdebees out of Army West Point, where he was an All-American with Army in 2019, and Jake Gilbert from the U.S. Air Force Academy. So already, this roster has potential to do some damage. And so far, two games in, two wins. This is a pretty good hitting Dragons team for now. I say for now because two games does not make an entire season. If it did, it would be a pretty boring season. So your entire roster looks like this. And I will mention the returning Dayton Dragons players. Starting off with the starting rotation. It was Lion Richardson getting the opening day nod. He lasted three innings. Eduardo Zalazar got the win yesterday going five strong. Ricky Salinas, all three that I mentioned, are coming back to Dayton, moving a step up in the ladder. Graham Ashcraft and Noah Davis. Noah Davis scheduled to get the ball tonight at Great Lakes. Your relief core returning for Dayton, Eddie Demirius. And that's it. The rest of the bullpen, first time in the Gem City. The rest of the bullpen, because it's not just Demirius, would be Tyler Garvey, Jake Gilbert, Sam Hellinger, J.C. Keys, Carson Lindell, Francis Pagaro, Jacques Puchu, Broxton Roxby, Johnny Schneider, and Spencer Stockton. I believe the majority of the bullpen has seen action in two games thus far. Your catchers will be James Free, Jose Tello, and Eric Yang. Your infielders, this is where the bulk of the returning names come from. Miguel Hernandez, Juan Martinez, Brian Ray, Brent Spillane, and Jonathan Williams all return to Dayton. First time in the Gem City is Quincy McAfee, Victor Ruiz, and Francisco Urbez. Your outfielders, two returning, Michael Ciani and Mariel Bautista. Two newcomers, Quinn Cotton, who's already made a beautiful gold glove style catch, and Jacob Herdebees. So, talked about Michael Ciani a little bit, listed by Baseball America as the best athlete and best defensive outfielder in the Reds organization. He led the USA Baseball 18-under national team to a perfect 9-0 record back in the fall of 2017 and was selected to the all-tournament team. 
spent the entire year with the Dragons in 2019, made huge improvements as he gained experience. His year was highlighted by a tremendous leaping, lunging catch in center field, which made that night's ESPN Plays of the Day. Also one of the greatest defensive plays ever seen and then fifth third field. Siani finished the 2019 season, 45 stolen bases, the third highest single season total in Dragons history. The Billy Hamilton number, what was it, 100 and 112, something like that? Also, Hamilton returned to Cincinnati yesterday with the White Sox, but more on that later. Also returning, starters Lyon Richardson, Ricky Salinas, and Eduardo Zalazar. Starting shortstop Miguel Hernandez, starting third baseman Juan Martinez. Second baseman and outfielder Brian Ray, starting left fielder Mariel Bautista, and first baseman Brent Spillane. Also second baseman Jonathan Williams, who spent the beginning part of 2019 with the Dragons, also returns. Now, Brian Ray, he's got a piece of Dragons history with him. In 2019, one game at Fort Wayne, he had eight RBIs in a game. The mark was seven, held by Joey Votto and Adam Dunn. I wonder what those two are doing. Well, I know Dunn's retired now, but I think Votto's still playing. Well, he was until, what was his, his thumb got broke? Now he's out for a month? Ugh, Reds can't have anything fun, can they? Not if uh, Rob Manfred has anything to say about it. More on that later. So, a little bit more about this team. I mean, 30 players, that's a lot. I think normally it's 25. So, maybe that'll help with, you know, trying to keep everyone as fresh as possible. Because, again, you're playing six straight. I don't believe there's a single Monday game for the Dragons, so it's always Tuesday through Sunday. And I believe the Monday will be used for travel or coming back from travel. So, I mentioned the Dragons are 2-0 thus far at Great Lakes. Let's talk about those games. First up, the game preview for opening night. It mentions a lot of things, but the game last night, Brian Ray... He did it again. He hit a home run to put the Dragons up 4-0. And that's all Dayton would need. Quinn Cotton would double in the only run the Dragons would require back in the third. That's the game-winning RBI. So right now, Dayton, in two games combined, have a 13-4 aggregate score against Great Lakes. At Great Lakes, too. So, so far, so good. I mean, I mentioned Lion Richardson only went three innings, which it wasn't because of trouble or anything. It's because, you know, starters um, off young. He's young. You'll need him for a lot of the season. So the schedule looks like this. Great Lakes tonight at 6.05. Eastern Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and 105 Sunday. This is all Eastern time. Before coming back home to face Lansing six straight times starting Tuesday. The game time's at Day or Ballpark. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all at 7.05. I believe the Saturday game's on TV. Not sure about Friday. Sunday's game will be on TV at 2.05 against the Lugnuts. And then it's off to South Bend for six. So, so far, so good for the Dragons. This team seems like it can... Compete very well in high A, high A Central. Man, I missed the Midwest League name. High A Central is just stupid. Just 
you know, it's not it's not a league name. It's just this is where you are. So let's look at the stats for the Dayton Dragons. Two games in, I don't know. Two games in, that's not a lot to talk about. But so far, early impresses have been second baseman Quincy McAfee. He's only hitting 500 on the season. He's got three hits out of six at-bats, two runs scored, four RBIs, a home run. He's been walked three times, struck out once. That's very promising. Eric Yang, the catcher, he's batting 375. Victor Ruiz, 333. Quinn Cotton is 375, three of eight for three RBIs. And you have Jacob Hurtabies, who is considered the fastest player in the red system. He's got wheels. And I can't wait to see that blistering speed at their ballpark. The left fielder is just batting 167. However, his on-base percentage is at 500. He has been walked four times. He struck out three times. And he's two for two in his stolen base department. The Dragons are three of five in that whole category as a team. Jose Tello, the first baseman, 250. Michael Ciani, who has yet to play in the outfield. He has been the DH both games. He's hitting 300 with five strikeouts, two RBIs. And Miguel Hernandez has started the season 0 for 9. So a little bit of a rough start for the shortstop. But so far, so good. Those are pretty nice numbers there. Now, can I get everyone involved? How about all players? That'd be great. Brian Ray in his first game, he only went 2 for 4 with that 3-run home run. Didn't strike out a single time. You also have Mariel Bautista, who got the start of right field. He went one for three in the opening night game. Uh, That's the only Dragons that have played thus far. Just 10 in the lineup thus far. As we now look at the pitching side. Again, like I mentioned, this is a Dragons team that's played a grand total of two games. So let's pull up that ERA. There are two with high ERAs. And again, it's based on how many runs you give up per nine innings. So that's why it's not, oh my god, these guys suck. No, it's because they haven't reached nine innings. Not close yet. So I mentioned Lion Richardson got the start, went three innings, walked three, struck out three, excuse me. And opponents hit... A grand total of 0-0-0 against Lion Richardson. In fact, you have a lot of pitchers that threw shutouts. Eduardo Salazar has the lone win for the one of two starters. He went five innings last night, gave up both hits, walked three, struck out three. His ERA at zero, his average against him, 125. Although that fifth inning, he did start to... uh, Get a little bit of trouble. Most of his outs were flyouts, and he gave out the double. But nothing happened out of that. That's the Dragons one for nothing. Carson Lindell, who is in the bullpen, he gave up two earned runs and one and a third. I'm trying to remember if Lindell came in to close the first game or if he was the first pitcher to give up runs. I believe he was the first pitcher. Jake Gilbert went an inning. He gave up two-run home run, and... Walked one, struck out two. Lindell walked three. And your highest batting average against Dragons pitching thus far, 250. And Lindell and Gilbert. So far, it's been nice. Eddie Demirius came in for 
a third of an inning. Walk two, struck out one. J.C. Keys two and a third, one hit, one win. He took the win on opening night. Francis Bogaro, one game, one inning, one walk, one K. Jacques Punchou, one game, two innings, three walks, five K. So, again, two games in, and the Dragons have only gave up those four runs to Great Lakes in the first game, shut them out on a two-hitter last night, and now facing the Loons again. There's not a lot to talk about in two games, but what I can tell you is this looks to be a pretty dynamic team. I mean, so far the hitting has done its job. So far the pitching's done its job. Just four runs in two games. I think if you're a baseball pitching coach or manager, you'll take that in a heartbeat. And all four of those runs came off. Actually, I'm not sure. I think most of them came off home runs. I know Gilbert's two-run home run did, but... Not entirely sure on Lindell. I know there was a home run hit. But, yeah, so far, it's it's a great start. And this is a team that, you know, should do well. Why did it take me to AAA East? I don't care about that. Take me to the high A Central, eventually, when it loads. So, again, the series continues. Dayton can clinch a split. No worse than a split tonight if they win. I also did find out that from the broadcast yesterday on radio, which, by the way, if you don't have HD radio, I recommend upgrading to a radio that has it. It's free. It's not like a subscription-based like uh, X, Sirius XM. It's literally, if a station offers HD, the sound quality is just... Oh, it's it's dynamic. Listening to the Dragons game and that high-quality audio is just... Whoa, where'd that come from? Early on, the Dragons looked to be on top of A plus C, as it's called on here. 294 batting average thus far, followed by Cedar Rapids, 281. Wisconsin up there, 265. And then Lansing, the next opponent for the Dragons at 210. At uh, the bottom of the 12-team league is Great Lakes batting 088. West Michigan not too better at 143. So again, two games in, two games does not a season make, but it's a great start, and I'm excited to hear the Dragons games back on radio, especially with HD. You can get it on uh, uh, WTUE HD2 because that's 980's station on the HD dial. And like I said, you'll thank me. For listening to it on HD. I wish more stations had HD radio. I know uh, WCSU does. And it does make a bit of difference on sound quality. I know a lot of uh, the iHeart stations do. Between Dayton and Cincinnati. Um, I think 980 is the only sports station I know about that has it. I thought 700 had it. uh, With their uh, feeder in Milford. Excuse me. Milford! But, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I I was listening to it, leaving from my lacrosse game at Beaver Creek. And, you know, I I turned on the 980s, like, that I remember halfway home on Fairfield. Wait, I got HD radio. I can listen to it on 107.2, or 104.7 hyphen 2, or whatever. So I did, and wow, it is crystal clear audio quality. So again... I recommend upgrading your radio to HD radio. It's really huge in Brazil. 
hasn't really caught on in the States, but there's some stations that do carry it. And there's your official plug for HD Radio for years, truly. Uh, Tom Mickles mentioned that the broadcasters are not going on the road. They were broadcasting the game from Day Air Ballpark, which is going to make tonight interesting because of the fact that we have a high school game at 7. More on that in a minute. And they're getting the audio, uh, excuse me, the video feed from Brad uh, Tunney of the Great Lakes Loons. They're sending, I think, two feeds, the MILB.TV feed, and there's one that covers the entire field. Tom mentioned on the broadcast that the entire field is about 30 seconds ahead of the MILB-TV feed, which makes sense because, you know, delaying everything. But it looks like the broadcasters are staying in Dayton for the considerable future. Not sure if it's the entire season, but it's looking that way. So great start for the Dragons, and this marks the final week of high school ball at Dayer Ballpark. This is also from DaytonDragons.com. As your games... Uh, Monday, actually, excuse me, that's Tuesday. Wilmington took on East Clinton. Tonight, it's Richmond versus Union County as Indiana evades downtown Dayton. Tomorrow, there's two games. Carroll takes on Alter in a greater Catholic League Dayton matchup. And Lima Bath has Minster afterwards. And a quadruple affair on Saturday, starting at 10 with Middletown Miamisburg. Spencerville Botkins, Greenville Lebanon, and Bethel Fort Loramie. So I'm broadcasting Richmond Union County tonight. No info on Richmond. I can tell you from pictures that Richmond has the Toronto Blue Jays font on them. Not the current one, but the old one that looks like the Sega font. And yeah, I can't wait. You know, the Miami Redhawks had that jersey too, but I don't know if they still wear those. I love those jerseys. Wyoming, I think, has done it the best. It helps that they're blue, but they had, like, you know, the big Wyoming Cowboys logo on the front, like the old Blue Jays logo, and then the numbers on the back. The only thing is they didn't have numbers on the front, and that kind of, and never mind, you don't care. So for Union County, Alex Van Winkle's a senior. He's leading the Patriots, batting 450 with 18 runs scored this season. Eric Burdeen has driven in a team-high 19 runs as senior Mason Wicker has compiled eight extra base hits. Mason Hornug claims an outstanding 1.30 ERA. That's good. 3 nothing record, 40 strikeouts, and he just walked five on the year. So, yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be a non-conference game. Richmond in the North Central Conference and Union County in the Tri-Eastern. In case you don't know where that is on the map, Richmond is in Wayne County, right off I-70. It's the first county on I-70 you hit while leaving Preble County and the state of Ohio. Union County is the little chunk underneath Wayne County. It's a small county, and there's one school, Union County, which actually spills into Preble County. If you know, oh, I don't remember what episode it was, but there was an episode I talked about College Corner and the school gymnasium literally split... Ohio, Indiana. That's why there's an I and an O there. But that's Union County. So a little bit of Preble County in there. And I think they go by IHSAA rules or something like that. I don't remember. But yeah. Can't wait to see it. It'll be nice to see Indiana schools there. I think it's the first time. We were supposed to have another game. Hagerstown and... Oh, I don't know if they picked a foe for that one. But yeah. It is nice to see uh, the Eastern Indiana schools. And 
I'm going to have a fun time broadcasting. As opposed to, I'm just going to go there and like, I hate everything. You know, like some broadcasters. Who? I don't know, but there's got to be some out there. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be on TKDS Sports, and I'll have the link for you closer to game time. But Richmond Union County tonight. Cal Alter, Lima Bath, Minster tomorrow, the 7th. On the 8th, Middletown, Miamisburg, Spencerville, Balkans, Greenville, Lebanon, and Bethel, Fort Loramie. And that's it. That's all high school games. We've hit that point where, you know, Dragons are going to be there for most of the season. And we're also hitting playoff time as well. Future episode, we'll talk about the softball brackets in OHSAA. But this is about the Dragons and high school ball wrapping up a day air with the Dragons coming in Tuesday. And, of course, you can follow me on social media for all the information. And let's wrap things up today with the news out of the OHSAA. In case you don't get chapters on your podcast devices, it's titled FEMI, the OHSAA True Ohio Story. And I try to make it as funny as I can, but this is something big, actually, because this is going to go to all schools. Normally, the OHSAA collects playoff revenue from schools. So if you're in the playoffs, you give money to the OHSAA. No longer. Because for the first time since 1998, there's going to be annual membership dues based on how many sports you field. So this is from WCPO. That's the ABC affiliate in Cincinnati, Channel 9. And it's from High School Sports Extraordinaire, Mike Dyer. Hopefully soon to be a guest on this podcast, but we'll see. The Ohio High School Athletic Association Board of Directors has approved a recommendation from OHSA Executive Director Doug Ute that membership dues will be collected beginning with the 2021-2022 school year. So, fall. The measure approved by a 9-0 vote by the board on Monday means each high school will contribute $50 per OHSAA sanctioned sport in which the school participates. The OHSAA made the announcement in the memo to schools Tuesday morning. This is the first time member schools are paying annual membership dues since 1998. There are 815 member high schools this year. That's a lot. I feel like there's a bunch of them in Cincinnati Dayton. Don't ask me to quote. Don't ask me to guess how many there are, because my answer is not going to be a numerical form. It's going to be a lot, because that's all I can really give you. So you said he would like to thank the board directors for approving my recommendation. Also, he received favorable feedback from the majority of the administrators, with whom I have conversed at our member schools. He, not I. Levying membership dues does not change our mission, which is to serve our member schools and enrich interscholastic opportunities for students. You explains that we traditionally have relied on tournament ticket sales for about 80% of the revenue, and that's no longer sustainable. You can thank COVID for that, mostly. That financial model has not been sustainable, and the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly not helped. Membership dues will give us a steady line of income since many of our other lines are available and it will help us build a new, more sustainable revenue model. 
That model, which will help ensure our long-term sustainability, will be a combination of a wider variety of income streams, including these dues, and continue better management of our expenses. So the total dues for the upcoming school year, 2021-22, will range from $300 to $1,300, depending on what these schools carry. So those sports, if Ohio high school carry them, you're charged that money. So, you know, you, you start to think about it. I mean, the smaller schools have less sports, so it's not going to hurt on them. I mean, let's take my uh, Twin Valley South Panthers in West Alexandria. So, the Panthers carry football, both soccers, volleyball, uh, boys and girls basketball, uh, wrestling. I'm trying to think of forgetting anything. Uh, Boys and girls track, uh, baseball, softball, and I don't think they carry tennis. So there you go. How many sports I rattled off? That's 50 per. So, you know, for the smaller schools that don't have that many sports, you know, that's, it's up. It's not going to be that, you know, that pricey. Whereas if you carry a lot, your fee is going to be a lot more. But then again, you have more students, therefore you have more money coming in. So, in a way, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, you're not guaranteed a playoff spot. I mean, all but football you are, which that's also some news we should talk about soon. For all sports except football, you're guaranteed to go to the postseason. It just really depends how far you go type of thing. The dues will be renewed annually by a finance committee of the OHSAA, and any modifications will be recommended to the board by the executive director. In the future, dues will not hit over 100 bucks per sport. So that'll be the most. Right now, it's 50 bucks. So what does this mean instead of charging during playoffs? Well, member schools will no longer pay for a tournament entry fees, bowling lineage fees, golf green fees, or wrestling weight management fees. The, man- the membership due is all-inclusive, meaning you carry the sport, you pay it. So... Student scholarships will be reinstated for next year, which is 2021-22. And the catastrophic insurance coverage for all student-athletes, tier leaders, student-managers, and student-athletic trainers during in-season and OHSAA tournament practices and contests will continue to be provided at no cost to member schools. The OHSAA will continue to supply all team trophies and or individual medals for Champions, runners-up, and other selected place winners at the district, regional, and state levels. Also, they'll continue to supply rule books, sports manuals, online rules, meetings, presentations, plus other publications and tournament administrator passes at no cost. And also, OHSA will continue to pay high school fees for Arbiter Game accounts. No membership dues will be levied against member 7th, 8th grade schools. So again, just high schools. We'll be... Con- we will continue to be open and transparent with our member schools about our financial situation. If we're able to adjust dues in the future, we'll look to do so. And he wants to thank all the school administrators for their work and efforts in helping to provide participation opportunities for our student-athletes during these uncertain times. And we appreciate the support they have given us in continuing to conduct our tournaments. So, basically, what I read from that is it's a new way to bring in money to the organization, which... You know, I'm fine with. And I think 
you know, the lower in a division you are, the less sports you carry because you're a smaller school. So, again, I think the way they're looking at it is is all right. I don't know what that will do to the bottom line of high school athletics because now everyone's got to pay. But at the same time, if everyone's paying, then that should be a nice source of cash coming in because, really, you're not going to have you shouldn't have another thing like COVID-19 shutting everything down, but uh, <laughs> I've learned not to uh, say stuff like that. I honestly think that it's not that bad of a thing. I mean, if you think about it, that's that's not a lot to provide. I mean, 300 to 1300 I mean, to school budgets is not that much. So, I think... It'll be an alright thing as we now look at the Cincinnati article unless I have to register for it. Scott Springer has this one. And looking through it, it looks like it's about the same out of the press release that Doug Ute sent. Now there's the instance. For instance, a school that offered all 26 OHSA sanctioned sports, which are the following... Football, girls volleyball, boys soccer, girls soccer, boys and girls cross country, boys golf, girls golf, girls tennis field, hockey, boys basketball, girls basketball, wrestling, boys swimming and diving, girls swimming and diving, boys bowling, girls bowling, ice hockey, baseball, softball, boys track and field, girls track and field, boys volleyball, boys lacrosse and girls lacrosse would pay $1,300 per school year. So most of the GMC offers all those sports, except ice hockey. I don't believe they're... Well, Mason does. I I don't know why. I keep thinking Mason's in the ECC, and I know better. I know they're not, but whoop, it just slipped my mind. And now I'm going to remember there's another one. Lakota West and East had club hockey teams, not OHSAA teams. They did once upon a time. I don't know if they're still there or not. I don't think they are. But, again, it really depends how much you offer. So the basic is considered football. That's, you know... 50 bucks. Uh, soccer, both boys and girls, that's 150. Volleyball makes it 200. Um, you get the picture. I, I don't have to describe the math to you. I know you know how to do math. So, we talked about the GMC. They offer most sports except ice hockey. The Southern Buckeye Conference has 19 offerings, which is 950 bucks. The GCL South has 14 for 700. Remember, they don't have girls' sports because, oh, yeah. It's boys only. The Girls Greater Catholic League has 12. They don't field uh, uh, ice. Actually, no. GCL South doesn't field ice hockey. That's uh, Capital Hockey Conference and the uh, uh, Swashle. And the Cincinnati Metro Athletic Conference has 11. Not every school and every conference offers every sport, so fees would vary amongst the members. So, again, I think this is a pretty nice way to bring in money because of the fact that you know, it takes away what you have to pay for playoffs and it's more sustainable because, oh yeah, these high schools are going to play. So that is the, really the only change from the last article. Now there's one that David Jablonski shared, previous guest on this podcast. There's also one more thing I want to talk about high schools before leaving for the day. I tweet a lot about local sports. Hmm. It's almost like I know what I'm talking about on here. Also, I should have mentioned, but Hunter Green 
he had himself a great day in his first double-A game at Chattanooga and the Lookouts. However, the Lookouts do not offer MILB TV, which is weird, but eh, it is what it is, I guess. So this is from David P. Jablonski on Twitter from Dayton Daily News. Area athletic directors react to OHSAA opting to change. And for what I remember reading it the first time, Marcus Hartman was the one that wrote it. From what I remember reading about it, a lot of ADs were fine with it. So Tropwood Madison AD Jonas Smith, he said that education-based athletics is exceptionally important to students. I agree. So anything we can do to help the association, I'm open to doing that. And paying that $50 per sponsored sport we participate, I'm fine with it. So, again, that's not much. I mean, the range from 300 bucks that participate in only the minimum six sports to 13000 for schools that are in the maximum 26. Though, Alter AD Christina Hart pointed out some of that will be offset by no longer having to pay tournament entry fees. Again, you know, is it easier to pay it before and, you know, you're guaranteed the money? Or, you know. So, Alter last year paid 400 bucks in greens fees for the boys and girls team to compete in the state golf tournament. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty positive change. Also, Christine Hart adds the AD for Alter again. They had special meetings virtually with all of us going over it and was explaining it and suggesting this was coming, so it wasn't a big surprise. So it's not like, oh, big change. I must scream and leave now. Bye. So basically, the OHSA has mentioned it's been trending in the wrong direction money-wise since 2014. So this is well before COVID. Would have happened... Without COVID, uh, probably, from what it sounds like. So Joe Smith, again, I'll be very honest, this is not really a surprise to me, who's also the vice president of the Southwest District Athletic Board and previously served on the state board in addition to being an athletics administrator for 25 years. Joe Smith's been everywhere. I mean, he was at with Throw for a little bit. He was with Cincinnati Public. He's with Dayton Public Schools. That's how I first knew of Jonas Smith. But now at Trotwood Madison. I could see years ago this was coming down the pike, so I think 50 bucks amount per sport's a good start to see how we can help the association. Hopefully they can set some costs and have a continuous revenue stream coming in. Mark Reinhardt, who's the director of athletics for the Greenview Rams in Jamestown, and his counterpart in Centerville, Rob Demet, also said they understood the decision. Reinhardt, in the article, says, It's unfortunate because all of us are in the same boat with a lot of lost revenue because of COVID restrictions while expressing hope be able to welcome back fans in full to Rams athletic events this fall, which uh, I, I don't know on that. The most important thing that our student-athletes will get is a chance to compete, play with fans, and play with friends, play with fans, excuse me, and make lasting memories. Sports are such a great extension of the school classroom and allow us to teach life-learning lessons through these sports. Again, it mentions all the sponsored sports, while tournament entry fees have been eliminated, teams could still face fines as punishment for violating the bylaws or regulations or for non-compliance with tournament deadlines and requirements, which, yeah, you're basically you're paying the money up front instead of waiting until playoff time. Rob Demet of Centerville, great guy, 
says, at the end of the day, I completely understand from a business and income perspective this decision by the OHSAA to begin charging dues as they try to rebound from all their lost revenue over the past year. However, all athletic departments across the state are also dealing with this revenue losses that have left most scrambling to find the funds to finish the year. We have no choice but to figure out a way to pay the dues so that our kids continue to enjoy participating in the OHSAA, and that is what we will do. So, yeah, I, 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 I think this is a good move. I think it'll bring in more money for the OHSAA, and you know, hopefully things stay the same in terms of, you know, I shouldn't say stay the same because, you know, again, OHSA has been trending the wrong way uh, financially since 2014, but hopefully this helps bring them back in the black. And the Ever article is talking about UD. What about UD? Baseball team has been on a COVID break for two weeks and now heading to Virginia to take on Richmond and VCU before... Coming back home to take on George Washington, their last series. Well, it's a good thing, if I can ever find it. There's me sharing a gif about the seven-game suspension for Amir Garrett because he, you know, he cheered himself on and showed emotion. Don't you know that's legal? We want to see, we here at the MLB office want to see more emotion, like Bryce Harper. And then the Reds do it. No, not like that. Yeah, that's crap. Oh, by the way, Javier Baez, what a wuss. I'll just jump the fence and I'll flip you off because I'm such a good guy. And he doesn't get a thing on him? Give me a break. What a bunch of crap. Cincinnati can't have anything nice. Oh, no, that's bad for baseball. <sighs> yeah, that, that drove me nuts. Normally, I keep my calm. And I don't do things like that. But I... I you know the picture of the garbage truck that is pouring uh, garbage from the can into the truck while then it throws it and there's like a bunch of trash still there. So it's like, Bleh. yeah, that's what I shared. So breaking news from Spectrum News 1 Ohio. The University of Dayton will host the OHSAA Sports Boys and Girls State Basketball Tournaments throughout 2024. Normally it was that school in Columbus doing the hosting. Not for these next few years. Ah, ah, ah. You're not the one hosting. Ah, ah, ah. Now here comes a three-hour show about how Ohio State is getting ripped off from the OHSAA. I just know there'll be a thing on 1410. So, from the article, this is by Lydia Taylor of Dayton. The University of Dayton and the Ohio High School Athletic Association announced Monday an agreement for the school to host state basketball tournaments until 2024. So that means... That's going to be an extra year from the previous agreement, which will be girls' basketball semis and finals until 2023. Now it's going to be boys and girls until 2024. The big question I have on this is, what is that going to do with the first four? I mean, are we going to have it again in Dayton? I mean, don't get me wrong, hosting this at UD, UD Arena is fantastic, and I love it. I stick the finger at the, you know, you know, that school in Columbus. But how is that going to deal with first four? And that's the only thing. I'll probably learn more if I read the article, which I'll tell you more about. 
UD Arena was the site of this year's Girls and Boys State Basketball Championships in March. You know, the one where Centerville claimed their first ever boys basketball title. And Bakken's also won D4, Mount Notre Dame being... Excuse me, Mount Notre Dame and Fort Loramie being the local teams and girls basketball win titles there. Prior to this year, the tournaments have been held at that school in Columbus since 1976, except in 86 and 87 when the events were held at UD Arena. It's also been the site of 125 NCAA basketball tournaments. Like I said, first four. While the 2021 tournaments were initially supposed to be held at St. John Arena this year, COVID-19 protocols would have been hard to execute. That's why it got moved to UD Arena. Scott DeBolt, the UD Senior Associate Athletics Director, said we're very excited to host the state tournaments at UD Arena. In addition to our love of the Dayton Flyers, we're so proud to host many great events here, including the NCAA First Four, and we're pleased and grateful to welcome the OHSA Girls and Boys Basketball State Tournaments to UD Arena. Our community will support the state tournaments just like any other event, and this will be a special place for the teams, schools, and communities that reach the state tournaments. Now, all seriousness, yeah, St. John Arena has some history, and I know Ohio State's been the main place for it, but if you look at UD Arena, it's been around since the 60s. You look inside now, you think it was built, you know, just a couple years back. They spent a lot of money on this renovation. I think, what was it? I, I forget. I'm, uh, it sounds low if I'm going to say it. $74 million, something like that, for three years. And it looks beautiful. They've done a great job. UD Arena is beautiful. It's definitely the gem of college basketball in the area. And the story ends. It does not mention how it's going to affect the first four. I assume, you know, it'll still go on, maybe. But really depends what the NCAA does. I don't think there's been any news on that. But it's huge. You know, instead of going to Central Ohio, you get to come to Dayton and you know, that's more money in Montgomery County and Dayton's pocketbooks because people are going to spend the night there. People are going to want things to do, you know, places to eat. You know what that means? Cha-ching, cha-ching for Montgomery County in the area. So definitely it's great, and I love it. And it's a great court to be at, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see Dayton get to host it once again. And there's one more thing. This is not high school, but we'll keep it here quickly as Jordan Bedford is the Basketball League Player of the Week after two great games. Two upset wins for the flight. They're now 4-4. Four and four. Yours truly had the call of the win against San Diego. Jordan Bedford scored 17 points in an upset win over the top team in the East in the Jamestown Jackals and that had 29 points including 7 three-pointers in the upset win against the San Diego Guardians who were the one of two teams still undefeated in the Basketball League the National Player of the Week going to Jordan Bedford that guy can ball, it's a lot of fun you know, again, if you haven't seen the Dayton flight, go out and see them they're at Wilberforce, tickets are cheap and you can see a good product. Exceptional guard play. This is a team that can fly. And I know you're going to accuse me of saying, oh, well, fly because, you know, they named the flight. Well, yeah, it's a name based on Dayton's, you know, pride and joy being the first to invent flight. Not that stupid place in North Carolina. Yeah. 
but it's a very quick team, and I love broadcasting the three games I've done. Uh, yours truly is 3-0. and I thought that streak would end against San Diego, just looking at them, but no. The flight battled back, and it seemed like the Guardians always had an answer, but in that fourth quarter, Dayton outscored them 45-37 to for the win. And yeah, I, I love getting a chance to broadcast for the flight. So it's definitely it's definitely nice. Hopefully I'll get to do a little bit more uh, as the season rolls on. Still plenty of games left. Dayton flight will be at Kokomo on Saturday. No, excuse me, Indy Express on Saturday. Then Sunday against Kokomo and the Bobcats spell with a K. But again, congrats go out to Jordan Bedford for the National Player of the Week award. Again, combined total of, what would that be, 46 points? Yeah, 46 points against Jamestown and San Diego. So definitely a lot of fun to be had. And that will do it. That's episode 212 in the books. How these episodes keep going past an hour, I don't know. But hopefully, hopefully you're still enjoying these. Tell your friends about this podcast. It's the one that's covering Cincinnati Dayton Sports. Unlike certain radio stations that dare call themselves Dayton Sports Station or, you know, have a local sports talk show that covers teams that are over an hour away. But there you go. Uh, no MLS talk yet. We'll probably hit that in 213. But till then, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the Lee W. Mallon. Also, Sunday Pod for the podcast, SundayPod.com. And we'll talk to you again for episode 213. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sunday Pod and the Lead W Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time. <laughs>